0: If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Amos. You can take your Bibles, take turn them to the, book, the table of contents if you like. Turn to the book of Amos, another minor prophet, as we are finishing up our series called Return. Next month, we're going to be speaking to the church and truly drawing us all together. As I, we have a responsibility as a local church to buy in together to accomplish great things for the glory of God and the good of man. But in the book of Amos, this is another part of the series called return and I was thinking this morning that return means that you are coming back to some place that you have already been to turn means that you've not been there before and y'all I've been in both of those places I've been a sinner that was betting on my good works to get me into heaven betting on myself being a church kid a good kid and then the bible says there are no good kids And so I had to turn from my sin and turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ to make me right before a holy God. But now that I am in a right and real relationship with God, whenever there are things in my life that are indiscretions that the Spirit of God calls out, it's time for me to return, to come back to what I know is right. And that is the name of this series. And Amos has a similar tone of all of the other ones, which is a tone of judgment. Judgment. And so today, I won't mix any words with you, I'm just going to tell you that when you study the minor prophets, you study judgment, you study the truth of God, and you study the grace of God, as God gets to that. But we begin by looking at a latter chapter, in verse, or chapter 7, verse 14, Amos, who is this prophet of God, he has a name in the Bible, he is a messenger from God, called to God's people, and this was a farmer, He said of himself in chapter 7, verse 14, I am not a professional prophet, and I was never trained to be one. He said, I am just a shepherd, and I take care of sycamore trees. But the Lord called me away from my flock and told me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. Y'all, I like this a lot. I like it a lot because Amos was just a man, simply a man that was called of God to do a great work for the glory of God and the good of men. Did you know that Amos is not even mentioned in any other of the books of the Bible? His name is not found in any archaeologist discovering. They've never uncovered his name on anything else. He just lived for the Lord. He served for the Lord. He died in the Lord and went to be with the Lord in heaven. That looks like a good life to me as a simple man, a simple man of faith. And did you know that God is still calling people? God is still calling people to be his messengers, God is still calling people to be pastors, to be missionaries, to be leaders in the church. Is he calling you? That is an invitation on the front today before we ever get to the end. Is God calling you? Is there a pull on your heart towards ministry that matches up with the gifting of your hands, the gifting of your mind that God has given you that has been confirmed by the church as God putting all that together that you are being compelled to serve him for a lifetime? Because God will take you out away from what you think is your flock and send you to something else that he's got working on for his glory. But it will be for your good if you are being obedient to that. God is still calling people. Now, as we look in the book of Amos, as we study together, I've learned one approach to studying the Bible begins with a simple question of asking, what do I see? Like When you read a passage of Scripture, when you read an entire book, you ask the question, what do I see? And if you use that approach with the book of Amos, you're going to see the uncommon calling to a common man, but you're also going to read just for a short bit before you also recognize echoes, meaning words or phrases or lines that are frequently repeated over and over. And we understand that what is repeated is important. And today's message seeks to present some of these echoes, some of these lines that are repeated. And for the sake of time, we can't go over all of these things, but these repeated lines communicate what God was really trying to get across to his people. But it wasn't just was trying to get across to his people, it is what he's trying to get across to his people. You see, as the book of Amos was not written for us, it is still written for us, even though it was not written to us. God's principles and his words still apply even today as we belong to him as his church. This is the word of God for God's people. So let's take that personally and let's look in chapters 1 and 2. And when you do that, without reading it verse by verse throughout all of those chapters, you're going to see this line that is repeated that says, this is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. Over and over. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Lord says. What does that mean? It means that God speaks. You, if, if you're sitting here today wondering what God is like, you don't have to wonder any longer. You can just read his Bible and find out. If you wonder today if God has ever revealed himself, ever made himself known, he has. We don't have to wonder what he is doing or thinking or what he's like because we have the written word of God and we have the person of Jesus. And together those make up what is called the special revelation of God. This is how we specifically know who he is, what he's like, and what he wants. This is what the Lord says. And what he wants out of Amos is judgment. Judgment. Now, y'all, I would love to tell a bunch of jokes and just all have a good time and go home. But as I have been reminded of lately and communicated, I am not a creator of content. I am a communicator of content. God is the original creator of content, and I'm just telling you what he said to us. And this is what the Lord says is referencing judgment. God is not silent. There is no word above God's. There is no higher authority to appeal to. If you're wondering whether or not you're forgiven, and if you feel unforgiven, if God says you're forgiven, then guess what that means? You're forgiven. He's the highest authority. No no one is above Him. No one has a word above Him. You cannot hear from anyone greater. You cannot be influenced by anyone greater. In chapter 4, verse 13, man, I would love for you to underline this, as this is poetic and beautiful, as God's Word says... For the Lord is the one who shaped the mountains. Get that picture of your favorite mountain in your head if you got one. The Lord is the one who shaped them. The Lord is the one who stirs up the winds. And then the Bible says, And he is the one who reveals his thoughts to mankind. He's not holding it in. He's trying to let us know exactly what it is what God is speaking. And specifically, again, this is relative to judgment. And it starts, if you look in chapters 1 and chapters 2... This starts with Israel's foreign nation neighbors. Judgment is coming. I'm just going to tell you, if you've been watching the news, judgment is coming. The judgment of God will fall on nations who do not recognize him, on nations that cause war for innocent, towards innocent people for selfish reasons. Judgment will come. On all nations. And this is what the scripture says. They, they, meaning the Gentile nations, they have sinned again and again. And I will not let them go unpunished. It says that in chapter 1. It says that in various places. It says it in chapter 2. And so the judgment of God will fall on the world because the world belongs to God. And this is even more reason why missionaries are sent. This is even more reason why we give to that give-to-go offering because there are people right now on the mission field that are in difficult, broken, hard places that are sharing a word of grace and hope of forever with God instead of apart from Him. The the message of the one true God over and above all these false gods that are out there. There are people in the mission field, organizations still working that we support and have sent and partner with. That are still working to get the good news of God to the world. And thank God for them. And God we stop and we pray now for every missionary and every missions organization. Especially those that are trudging through the hard ground to plow of Ukraine and Russia. We ask, O oh God, in the name of Jesus, that your gospel light would shine bright and strong through perilous times. In Jesus' name. Israel, when they heard this, they probably listened first and thought, That's right. Get them, God. You get them. Let them know. Let them know that you're the one true God. Go and bring down that judgment on all those folks that are wrong out there. But the cloud of judgment, as you read in chapters 1 and 2, is just getting closer and closer and closer to his people. Closer and closer to Israel. Israel, the people of God. The chosen people of God. To be his people, he would be their God. Israel was chosen to be a blessing to the entire world that would ultimately give us the Messiah and the Savior that is Jesus. In chapter 2, verse 6, the Lord speaks to them that he spoke to the nations, he speaks to his people the same exact words of judgment. He says, the people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. You see, this is Jesus, the holy Son of God, God, holy, good, completely, without error or fault. This is God. And he is calling out those who have sinned Against him, But while all these other nations, if you look, in fact, last week when Brother Dusty was preaching a message out of Ephesians, our campus pastors were preaching this exact chapter, this exact message from Amos. And Heath Haney, our campus pastor at the East Campus, made a note in his notes that said that while all of the Gentile nations were getting a couple of paragraphs of judgment, God's people about to get four or five chapters of it. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that when we come in, it's a lot of times it's like the preacher's preaching to the church. It's because the church ought to know better. It's because the people of God should have known better. And y'all know what we did when we took the Lord's Supper, right? We remembered. That's the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Half of it is to remember what God has done for us. And in Amos chapter 3, verse 10, the Bible says, My people have forgotten how to do right. They have forgotten. They have forgotten God. They've gone ahead and decided what's right and real for them. They've taken his grace for granted. And they have made the decision of righteousness for themselves. They have forgotten the holiness of God. And so specifically when the Lord says, this is what the Lord says, speaking of judgment, the first sin that he's going to deal with is the sin of rejection. Chapter 2, verse 4. The first half of that verse says, they have rejected the instruction of the Lord refusing to obey his decrees they have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors they've rejected what god has said they have been deceived by idols once again the same thing that your granddaddy fell to and that your daddy fell to now you're falling to the same thing it's just this cycle of a divided heart and the gentiles had had sinned against god by following the inclinations of their nature the, the Gentiles had had, followed the, the, had had turned away from the laws that were written on their heart of not to kill and take advantage of people. And they had, had given way to their selfishness and sinfulness and God was going to judge them as He judges the world and to all of that. But the people of God violated the very laws of God given to them. The Gentile nations did not have it. The nation of Israel did have it. They had the word. They had the revelation of God. God had spoken through his prophets. He had spoken through Moses leading them out of the wilderness. Spoken through Joshua. They had revelation from God. The Gentile nations were sin in their nature. But Israel had sin in their camp. And they had it. They had the instruction. Listen to me. There are still people groups without the word of God. Did you know that? Talking about tons of people around the world that do not have the written word of God and people whose churches and missions agencies, these are the people that they are trying to reach with the Bible. People throughout the world that are separate by the laws of their land. They are separate by poverty. They are separate by illiteracy. They are separate by persecution. They do not have God's heart before them. And our church, through Brother Eric and now through John Thaxton, is continuing to send missionaries and partner with agencies alike that is getting the Word of God to people who don't have it. And yet, here we are, like Israel. We are privileged to have the Bible at a swipe of our finger or the pull of a drawer. Some of us have got more Bibles in our car than entire people groups have at all. It's there, it's readily available for us. And even more than that, a great number of us have received God's Word into our heart. We have believed the Word of God's been preached and we have believed, and yet here we are, just like Israel, privileged to have the Word of God. And yet sometimes we don't even go about reading it until we get back in church the next week. And not only do we not hear it, we don't obey it. Y'all listen, this is the word of the church. We are His people. We are His people. My parents are here today. I know what my mama and daddy have told me. I'm their child. I can tell you what they've said. We are the people of God. You need to know what your daddy says. You need to know the heart of the Father, what he's trying to communicate that is on his thoughts. Romans chapter 2, verse 25, the last half of that verse says, if you, speaking to the church, if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than uncircumcised Gentiles. You're no better off than those who have not had the word and not been able to obey it. I I know you you think to ourselves, we get to this place where we're like, I know what God's word says about sexual immorality. I know what God's Word says about my language. I know what God's Word says about my priorities. And I know what God's Word says about money. But, but nothing. But nothing. You See, there's no higher authority. When He's spoken, He's spoken. We explore what He means. We don't communicate what we think He means. If the Bible was taken away from us today... I wonder if we would treasure its instruction. Think about that. If the scripture that we have on our phones, in our homes, on our walls, if the scripture that we have in our drawers and in the backseat of our cars, if it was taken from us, would we know it and would we treasure its instruction? The reason I say that today a few years ago in 2016 in Russia, the Russian government appro- approved laws sharing faith in homes online or anywhere but recognize church buildings is outlawed. Think about that for a second. That sharing faith cannot happen in your home. It cannot happen through an email. It can only happen in the church that you're a part of but we'll be looking over you as you invite people. You see, if I want to, today, I can preach to you here. I can go and preach on my front yard. I can stand right out there or at the courthouse steps. I can go and raise an anthem to the Lord wherever I want to go. Sometimes we need to remember what's been bought and paid for here. be thankful what we have in this country And the freedoms that we enjoy. And y'all, we are messed up. This, This nation is a messed up nation. But still, I'm thankful for people that have gone before me and even still now that fight for the freedoms that we have to preach and teach and share the Word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, we don't need to take those freedoms for granted because there are people as we speak churches being persecuted as we are meeting together today, they are meeting under the cover of darkness. When you meet under the cover of darkness, you are treasuring the word of God. And I guarantee you the people that are meeting in secret churches are not there to check a box. They are there to receive what God has to say about what they're going through and change it if he don't like it. That is what's happening throughout the world in places of persecution. And it would do us well to remember today the privilege that we have of freedom to come in and to hear the word of God and to have it readily available. And so that it doesn't become a tradition, it becomes a dedication. Y'all, can I tell you what I saw this morning? I parked in the back following the example of our Pastor Emeritus who set that example for all kinds of years to show us how to serve and give room for people. And as I'm walking from that back parking lot to the front, one of our oldest senior adults is dressed to the nines. And he's one of the first ones here. And he is, and I say this not in kidding, I say this very serious. He is shuffling his feet, shuffling his feet towards the door that he can barely pull open to make it to his Bible study group. Young people, listen to me. I know we have our preferences, and I know that we have all of this technology available, which I'm glad for anyone who's taking it in to enjoy today, but we better not lose those kinds of images in our brain. Senior adults at this church and many others have paved the way for younger generations to enjoy the freedoms, but to see the examples of desire and dedication as it should be. I thank God for what I saw this morning. I thank God for two pastors in our congregation that today, before they went out of this church to preach at different ones, they were in their group before they went to preach. Younger generation, We have all of these things to give us a free excuse to say, we'll just take it in this way. Listen, if you can't get yourself up and get to the gathering, then by all means, take it in how God has provided. But don't you miss the opportunity to get together as God has designed it. Man, I thank God for the church I thank God that in my college years, every time I walked out of Saturday night in sin, I stumbled into Sunday morning that God did not give up on me, and I heard the Word of God and saw people smile at me. Man, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for God's grace, and I'm thankful for those examples that I've seen. I'm thankful for two ladies at Round Island Baptist Church that I saw shuffle their feet in dresses in on a Sunday morning before everybody got there, with their Sunday school lessons prepared and studied up on, in the dead of winter, I'm thankful for them. I saw what God means when He means dedication. If we won't lose that, we'll have something strong that God will use for years and years past what's already been. Man, I'm so thankful for the foundation of this church. And these are the people... Of God that have every resource at this time available y'all they're living in luxury right here This is a good time and what I mean is this is a good time of prosperity for Israel But all of that prosperity is beginning to blind them of really is what is necessary And we know all these things we know enough Bible verses to be dangerous But may we not forget what a privilege it is to have the word and a responsibility it is to obey it books like Amos Remind us of this holy expectation from God it reminds us of the blessing and the privilege of having God's word But the responsibility to read and obey it with that we are also reminded of the just character of God towards sin God has a just character Even in the small things God's going to get on to us and over time God is not a punk who's going to be taken advantage of it. We will reap what we sow There will be discipline. And the church, I want you to be reminded of what the New Testament says to the church in Romans chapter 2, verse 3. Since you judge others for doing these things, meaning since you judge, church, since you judge a whole bunch of other folks for doing a long list of sins, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? You see, look, look, as I read it in the Scripture, there's a judgment that should happen within the body of Christ, meaning... Hey, man, I know who you claim to be, and that did not line up with it, and I'm lovingly coming to you to let you know you're going to lose your family if you don't change it. Like, that should be a judgment conversation happening in the church. But all of this outside looking to people who are lost and condemning them when there is sin in our own life. You know what the Bible goes on to say in chapter 2, verse 5? You are storing up judgment for yourself. Sometimes we think, well, I'm saved. Just because you're saved doesn't let you off the hook in consequence does not let you off the hook from discipline of God. In fact, we are more responsible because we already have the Word. In chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we move from the sin of rejection to the sin of corruption. The sin of corruption, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, they, they sell... Listen, listen to what the people of God now, the people of God are doing. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. Basically, you've got trafficking happening here. This is slavery. They, the people of God, trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. And then he goes on to say, both father and son sleep with the same woman corrupting my holy name. This is the people of God. The people that are called to holiness, saved by a holy God, looking forward to the Messiah that is promised to them. And all of this is born out of prosperity. And this is why we have to be so careful. Because truly what had happened here is the the, the prosperity that God's people enjoyed and all of the wealth that they were incurring, it became their focus. As they began to seek the glory of wealth instead of the glory of God, they began to to seek the, the glory of themselves and the wealth of themselves instead of the good of man. And do you know what they did? They collected debt on the poor to the point of slavery and servitude. God who had let them off the hook so many times, they held someone on the hook and forced them into servitude and slavery to work off the debt. Why? Because they weren't gonna lose a dollar. Some of us are not here today because we're not gonna lose a dollar. Now that's not to every single circumstance. That means if you have what you having no option is one thing, you having an option is another. And so they collected on the debt to the point of slavery. Because if if they lost a dollar, you know what they lost? Their divinity. Because the dollar had become their God. Their standard of living, their lifestyle, what they had to uphold, what they had to keep. If they lose that, they lose their God. To them, people were a walking dollar sign. And again, this is one of those places where if we're like, good gracious, I cannot believe this is happening with the people of God. Don't get too far into that before you realize that the same kinds of things can happen to us. And what do I mean? To them at this time, to the people of God, people in general will either deem somebodies or nobodies. Somebodies that could help them gain and get more of what they want or nobodies who really didn't need or require any of their time and couldn't help them anyway. This is how people were treated. Now I want you to listen to this quote because it's really good. One thinker, author said, in life you'll meet people who can't help you in any significant way. They won't be able to advance your career or your opportunities or your relationships. And how you decide to treat them will tell everything needed to know about who you really are. That's really good. The people that God was so willing to forgive is now holding sins over other people. The people that God was so willing to freely meet their needs is, are now holding out on those who are desperate. God, with all authority, had chosen to bless and extend His grace to His people, and now they are holding their authority over those who cannot even help themselves. And I see so much about how the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God extended. You even see this now on social media, where this, this grace and mercy that's been extended to us all of a sudden gets lost between here and the restaurant we choose to go to. Somebody's late with our drink, my word, somebody's taking the silver spoon out of your mouth, isn't it? See, that's not a full laugh, it's a half laugh, because some of us are convicted by it. When we think about how we act, how we treat people, what name does that give God before a lost world? This is the people of God, chosen of God to represent him to the entire world. He's going to bless the world through them. And what name does this give God before a lost world? Followers of Jesus, how we treat people matters. Can you all get up with that? How we treat people matters. How we talk to people matters. How we defend people matters, especially the oppressed. How we defend oppressed people matters. Now, some of you may say, oh, he's, he must be woke. That ain't woke. That's just right. How you treat people in the minority, people who are oppressed, people who are without, people, people who are, with, are dependent, that's just right. If you don't think it is, you're not reading your Bible. If you look in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10, the Bible says, Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor. If you find yourself a part of that, or the narrative that would go against that, then you are working against what God is about. Trying to help people who really need help. That's what God does! In fact, when people don't matter to us, when people don't matter to us, God doesn't matter to us. Because God works for His glory in what? and the good of people. Does your salvation work for your good? It has mine. And so when, when people don't matter to us, then God doesn't matter. According to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, all people are image bearers of God. So you may look down and say, that person can't help me at all. Or this person, I, I don't know why they act like that. Y'all, y'all know we'd say things like that. They, they shouldn't act like that. And they're they not cut from the same cloth I was cut from and all this kind of stuff. Still an image bearer of God. They were creating the same image of God that you were. They are created with a conscience to God. They are created with a need for God. They are built and made apart from God. They cannot, but with God, they are to represent him for his glory. This means you and all the others that you work alongside with and know our purpose, regardless of whether or not they can help us, regardless of whether or not we know them, are purposed in the image of God for his glory. You see, when we know this, it changes the way that we talk to people. When we know this, it changes the way that we see people, approach people. Some of us in here today, we've seen somebody, we've already made a judgment based off of how they look. Some of us in here today, we skip by one person to get to another because this person can help us and that person we don't even know, don't even know they can help us. And I'm just like you, I have to be reminded of that, but all people matter to God because all people are created in the image of God. The people of God mistreated people for corrupt gain. They also downplayed the sacred. Did y'all know there are still sacred things? They downplayed the sacred. What do you mean? Well, you read the last half of that verse, but both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. You see, when you become the object of your affection and you become your own standard of living, you give in to whatever sinful desire your nature comes up with, and then you know what happens? You teach your son to do the same thing. Father and son, the leader and son, you teach your son to do the same thing. And examples like these were coming from the people of God with the word of God. Fathers, we don't determine what a man should look like. God does that. God determines that. And if we will humble ourselves before the Lord, we'll set a better example for our sons and for those that are looking unto us. Now finally is the sin of hypocrisy. The sin of hypocrisy, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Go ahead and offer sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. I want you to get this tone because this is the tone that is written in. Go on and offer your sacrifices to the idols at Bethel. Keep on disobeying at Gilgal. Offer sacrifices each morning and breathe your tithes every day. Present your bread made with yeast as an offering of thanksgiving. Then give your extra voluntary offerings so you can brag about it everywhere. That is the tone that this is written in. And this is the sin of hypocrisy. Bethel and Gilgal were worship centers. They were places where the people of God would attend. Even though there were idols there, and now it's being littered with false gods, no big deal, because they're still checking in with God. They offered sacrifices. They gave of their tithes, of their wealth. They presented thanksgiving, even giving a little extra. But according to the prophet, nothing had really changed still rejecting God's way, still living in immorality, still treating people as lesser than. So listen to this word today. Sacred places do not equal sacred people. Let that wash over you. Growing up in the South and North Alabama, sacred places do not equal sacred people. You see, they thought great devotion would make up for an ungodly life. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, the scripture says, I, speaking of God, God wants you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. So that must mean we don't have to offer any sacrifices. That don't mean we don't need to do any sacrificial giving, no more of those tithes. No, 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 no. What it means is, is you need to do it and mean it. in in a heart right before God. For those of you that love sarcasm, you know, if, if you're like me, I've got the spiritual gift of sarcasm which is not a real spiritual gift. I'm even being sarcastic now. Probably pray you did watch that. If you love sarcasm, you'll love Amos here. I mean, seriously, you will love Amos because he's saying, oh, yeah, now y'all get to church. Get to church and make sure you give. Make sure you sing a couple songs to the Lord. Hey, while you're there, even say a couple prayers. But then make sure you get on home now because if you don't get on home soon enough, your idols are going to start wondering where you are. He's being sarcastic. But that's the truth he's putting on his people. This is the Bible saying that hypocrisy may be closer to you than you know. They were not ashamed. I want you to think about the situation. They were going to the worship center. Which means what? They were not ashamed to go. They were not ashamed to attend. They, they were proud to go. They likely enjoyed being there. They enjoyed being at the gathering. They even routinely did godly things relative to corporate discipleship and worship and individual disciplines y'all if you grew up here and a lot of you and i'm taking for granted that everybody did but i know that everybody didn't grow up here but if you grew up in a biblical culture you know how to do church even if you're not in church everybody's connected to church and know a pastor and things like that and so they could pull that off they were doing the religious things but while they had Rhythms of faith in one part of their life, they were living in rebellion in another. And that is called hypocrisy. And here's a word. When our life is like this, when our life looks like faithfulness a couple times a week, living in rebellion another, it actually makes our regular Christian practices insincere and empty. So the things that you are doing before the Lord are with no sincerity. You know what that means? It doesn't really count. It doesn't really count. Oftentimes, it's not what you receive at church that speaks to your Christianity, but what you leave with that speaks to it more. I hope today that each song that's been sung, every scripture, the parts of the sermon, I hope that it encourages you and and you are challenged, or comforted, But the truth is, is I would rather us all leave here determined, knowing that God forgives us, determined with a determination to stop taking God for granted and to get right what he's told us is wrong. That is the purpose of this gathering, to lift up and to send out and to get it right. The people of God came to be filled up and they wanted to feel good, but with no real heart to follow through. Nothing in their heart said that they were going to go back and release the slaves. Nothing in their heart said that they would go back and they would stop the immorality that was going on in their life as soon as they left the church. Nothing about their life, nothing about their heart said that they were going to not remain in what they lived in. Warren Wiersbe said the test of a spiritual experience, and this is a spiritual experience that we're all involved in today, the test of a spiritual experience is not, do I feel good, or did we have a big crowd, and did we have a good time? The real test is, do I know God better, and am I more like Jesus? So, their feet would bring them to church, and they drop in the offering, but their hearts were set on themselves, and they were proclaiming and publicizing faith publicly, but they were living in their feeling. And did y'all know what chapter 5, verse 23 says? Chapter 5, verse 23 says, God called their singing, nothing but noise. Nothing but noise. The truth of us is today, in a size of people like this, some of us were worshiping, hopefully most of us, but a few of us, all God heard from you was noise, man. You're lifting up his name while desecrating it when you leave. It's a hard word to take. I'm just telling you this is where we fall. Hypocrisy is not just a Christian thing. you know that, right? We're all guilty of it. It's all within our culture. It's everywhere. It's frustrating. To the outside looking in, you think about the outside looking in when people talk about the church being full of hypocrites. Well, absolutely, it's full of hypocrites. We're sinners in need of a holy God, of course. That's just one sin along with a bunch of others. So, of course, I sit beside hypocrites all the time, and you're thinking, I sit beside you, and you're exactly right. Like, that's that's exactly who we are. Hypocrisy is part of a fallen nature which is why in the world we see hypocrisy all the time. And to the outside looking in, whether it's the outside world looking into the church or whether the church is looking to the outside world, hypocrisy is maddening and it calls into question one who is expressing conviction and it calls into question the cause that they represent. For us all, a great example of this would be with people that are like, y'all need to put on a mask. Everybody needs to put on a mask in here. And then that same person is taking a picture without a mask. And it drives us insane, right? And so when we see that, when we see those memes, when we see the political advertisements, God help us as we enter that season. As we see sinners poking their finger back and forth at sinners, that's what happens, by the way. Hard for me to trust people that, that think everybody on the outside of them is going wrong, but they got it right, I'm just going to tell you. I don't like getting political, but that's the straight-up truth. But as we see people pointing their fingers at one another and as we see the outside world and their hypocrisy, church, just be reminded that's how the world sees us when we're living in hypocrisy. When we lift up praises that glorify the Father and then we share posts that bring down His name. This is how the outside world sees our hypocrisy. Our own hypocrisy will help us take the eyes off of others. So we're coming to a close, and what's repeated is this is what the Lord says. It's said in judgment. And more repetition after this particular sin is mentioned, but you still would not return to me. See, God's Word says that over and over too, but you still would not return to me. You've been in front of preaching, you've heard it, you've been convicted, and you still wouldn't return to me. You've been on mission trips and been to conferences, you've had somebody face-to-face point blank you tell you that you're living wrong, and you still wouldn't return to me. And then the Lord says repetitively, through his prophet to his people. This is the grace of God. Come back to me and live. You know how good that is? That every single time when you read in the minor prophets, God is blasting them for chapters. And you think to yourself, they all going to die. And then God says in his grace, because that's what comes out of holiness, come back to me and live. Your translation may say, seek the Lord. And this is where it said, one time it said in Amos chapter 5, verse 5, Now this is what the Lord says to the family of Israel. Come back to me and live. Look at, look at what he's saying now. Don't go worship at the altars at Bethel. Don't go to the shrines at Gilgal or Bathsheba. For the people of Gilgal will be dragged off into exile, and the beautiful people of or the, the people of Bethel will be reduced to nothing. What is he saying? Is he saying now that you should feel so bad about what you're doing that you shouldn't go to church? No, that's what Satan tells you. That's a consequence of sin that's involved with shame shame that Satan twists towards you to say, No, you don't need to go back there because it didn't work the first time. That don't come from God, that comes from a deceiver. So what is he saying? You should, you should feel so bad about what you're doing. You shouldn't go back to the worship gathering. You shouldn't sing. You shouldn't give. You shouldn't serve. Heavens, no. He's not saying that. He's not saying don't go back. What he's saying is don't go back the same way. Don't go back the same way. Come back to me and live. Yo, I was encouraged this week. Speaking with a man who I hold in high regard as being a follower of Jesus Christ, that admitted to me something that he and his family were dealing with that they were convicted of as being sinful. And can I just tell you, that was the best sermon I've heard in a long time. Someone who is a sincere follower of Jesus is still trying to come back to God and live, still seeking the Lord. But how do I do that? That's the question. How do we do that? How do we return? I want to return. Everybody in here with me? I want to return. Well, this repetitive phrase that says, come back to the Lord and live, it's also in your Bibles that may say, seek the Lord. Did you know that that's found repetitively in the Bible 30 plus times? Seek the Lord, come back to me and live, or seek the Lord. It's found 30 plus times in Scripture. In fact, one of those times when the principles apply here is found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Oh my goodness, listen to that. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. And let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. The very thought of doing wrong. Can I help you unlock something that will help you? As soon as what you struggle with is a temptation or a thought in your mind, if you'll lock it up, throw away the keys and banish it, the soon it begins to pop in your mind, the more you will be faithful towards obedience. Because why? Because thoughts lead to actions, and actions lead to habits, and habits lead to strongholds. Or thoughts lead to actions, and actions lead to habits, and habits lead to successes. I didn't come up with that, and I'll give you who did, but I'm just telling you that's the way it is. When something bubbles up into our mind and temptation comes into our mind, if we will banish that thought lock it away, stand on top of it, we'll have a better shot of being obedient to stop it where it starts. There's a certain takeaway from Isaiah for how to return to the Lord. If, if you want to get better, your thinking's got to get better. If you want to come back, then you've got to think more about God than you do yourself. When wayward in sin, we're thinking all wrong about God and sin and life in general. What does this reveal to us today? As we close, last page. What does this reveal to us today about his character? Have you thought about that? Because we're not the main character. What does this reveal today about God's character? Will you sing with me? I know this makes my wife nervous when I sing. But will you sing with me and you're going to know it. God is so good. You know that one? God is so good. Lift your voices. God is so good. He's so good to me. I don't think he heard noise there. Think about what that means. God is so good. I realize in my life, I heard a preacher say this last week, and it's so good. You guys know that I'm not perfect, which I don't even know the half of it. I'm the worst, man. There are times in my life when I'm just straight up the worst. And I read messages just like you do with this, where the sins of God's people who have God's Word that have been received into their heart is not lived out. And then God says Come back to me and live. What does that teach us about God? It teaches us that he is good. He is so good. I don't know where you are today, and I don't know what you're thinking of yourself, but here's what I know. There is forgiveness of sins. There is consequences of sin. But as long as God has got this thing going and the invitation's open, you better take it. Take it, because what does the Scripture say? Call on him now while he is near. I'll never forget the time that I received that, that Scripture for the first time. A teenager had killed himself. The family called me to preach. One of the most challenging things I thought I would ever do until the Lord, within 30 minutes, gave me that verse. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. It is urgent. We're not promised forever. We never know what a day will bring. And God is good. He's ready and waiting, willing, and he's made a plan for you to come back into the good graces and fellowship of God through the right standing that Jesus provides through his sacrifice. Now, i never forget, I'm standing at a graveside, and I'm preaching over this, and about 20 young people, teenagers, are standing behind me. And I read that verse of Scripture, and not often does this happen, but the Spirit of God prompted me, and I just turned to them, And I said, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. You see how urgent that is? I'm not going to walk up in front of all these people. Then don't. Then don't. Call on him right where you are. In the quietness of your heart. The best way you know how. Yeah, I don't know. I got more questions. Then walk the aisle. Because that's why we're here. We're here to help. I've made this point in, in a couple different venues lately. Men... Men, we show so much respect to men that grind to get better. Man, we, we got so much respect for guys that are are doing something greater than maybe what we're doing, and we want to do something like that. Yet we stand back when we think of God getting a hold of our life and flipping us upside down. We think, I'm not going up there. I don't. That's hypocrisy. We need God, men. We need God, and the good news is, is that He's good. And he'll help and he'll change. We've all been guilty of rejecting God's instructions. We've all been guilty of immorality. We've been guilty of treating people wrong. We've been guilty of hypocrisy. And when I think of my own, I hate the thought of my sin. But I'm so glad to hear the words in the scripture, come back to me and live. If you would stand to your feet. In a reverent moment, let's close our eyes together. As your eyes are closed and your heads are bowed in a reverent moment, I'm just going to ask you to consider taking your next step. As you stand, right now may be the time of your salvation where you need to get it right with God because he's made a way for you to get it right. You need to call out in simple faith and serious repentance. And the best way you know how, call on holy God who is listening for forgiveness of all your sin. And ask Jesus to come into your heart to take over, to forgive you. But if you are like me, and many times I've been there, if the message today is not turn, but it's return, you need to come back. Why not call on him now about that too? And y'all, the guys up here standing at the front are not waiting in judgment. God pronounces that. We are now part of his representatives to receive you as you return. And the people here are going to be excited for you when you take next steps towards development. Lord, I thank you for today and I thank you oh God for your spirit and what your spirit is doing in this room and what your spirit is doing in this church and in other churches. And we pray in the name of Jesus that as people are considering what to do next that they first would start with you, that they would simply and seriously talk to you now. And, Lord, then they would move outside of themselves to talk to others so that the help you provided for the church would work. Lord, if we need to take the next step of joining the church or being baptized, whatever the obedient part of us needs to be, I pray, oh God, that we would do so now. Lord, if we need to come forward and talk with somebody about what it looks like to be a part, that we would do that. Lord, I thank you for when your word gets very serious. I thank you, Lord, for when your spirit challenges me in my own sin. And I just ask, oh, God, that you would help us today, Lord. And knowing that you are, that we would yield. In Jesus' name, amen. This invitation is open. The altar is open. You can pass right on by us and pray. Or if you'd like to talk, we'd love to talk to you.